What's the purpose of marriage? Is it companionship, sex, having and raising children? Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and today the Bible bus pulls up to Ephesians chapter 5 for an intimate look at God's design for marriage. So as you turn there in your Bible, here's an introduction that our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, added about the role of a husband and wife in a spirit-filled, godly marriage. You're going to love this. And if you're married, share it with your spouse. Here's Dr. McGee. Now, you would think that the husband, where it says, wives, submit yourselves under your own husbands as unto the Lord, that the husband is to be a top sergeant talking down to a buck private. Or it's a boss shouting to a hired hand. May I say to you, it's not that kind of a relationship at all. It's a love relationship. And in a love relationship, it's not one talking down to the other at all. It is a relationship where it's compared to the relationship of Christ and the church. For the husband, you will recall... Paul said in Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Now, the analogy you see, it's the Christ and the church. Now, Christian marriage down here, if it's made under the Lord, made by Christians, and made by spirit-filled Christians, for that's to whom Paul is speaking here, It's a miniature of the relationship of Christ and the church. And there's no relationship that can be any sweeter than that relationship between a man and a woman, both spirit-filled. Will you listen to me very carefully on this? The physical act of marriage is sacred. It's a religious ritual. It's a sacrament. I do not mean a sacrament made by church, nor is it made by a man-made ceremony. But it's a sacrament that is made by God himself, one which he sanctifies. And he says that this relationship is to reveal to you the love of Christ for your soul. Therefore, the woman is to see in a man one to whom she can yield herself in a glorious abandonment, and that he's a man of character. And she can give herself wholly and completely and find perfect fulfillment and satisfaction in this man because this is the man for her. And he's to look at her the same way. In fact, is one that he actually can worship. For that is the way the old marriage ceremony ended. With my body, I thee worship. And somebody says, you don't mean that. Well, I do mean that. And it just meant that This man found everything worthwhile in her. And friends, it's not the sex appeal that makes marriage. It's the character of the individual. It's that a man finds something wonderful and worthwhile in the woman, and she finds something wonderful and worthwhile in the man. That's the thing that makes a Christian marriage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wisdom that's found in your word. Help us to hear the message, Lord, that you have for us today, and then use it to strengthen marriages and families so they reflect your love to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're off to Ephesians 5 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, last time 
we saw the injunction that's given to believers relative to a command concerning the Holy Spirit. We are told here that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command given. Nowhere are you told to be regenerated. You're told that you are if you trust Christ. To as many as received him, to them gave he the right, the exousion power, to become the sons of God, even to those that don't do any more nor less than trust in his name. We're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Paul says, if any man have not the Spirit, Christ is none of his. And we're also sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in this epistle, as we've already seen it, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And then we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. Paul said to the Corinthians, by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. These are four ministries of the Holy Spirit that take place the moment that you trust Christ. Now we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to walk in the Spirit. The automobile may be in good condition, but there better be gas in the tank if there's going to be any driving at all. And we need today to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we saw last time that the Spirit-filled believer will have certain things manifested in his life. First of all, we saw that there would be joy in his life. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. And then there would be thankfulness in his life. And that is a wonderful thing. Giving thanks always for all things unto God. A child of God doesn't ask God to damn anything. Couldn't do that. We just thank him. Thank him for everything. That's the mark of a spirit-filled believer. Now we come to a third one here in verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now this word submit is a very interesting word. It actually does not mean obey. The child of God is not a buck private in the rear rank taking orders from somebody in the church that thinks he's a sergeant or that he's a captain, because we do take orders, but we take the orders from the captain of our salvation. Just like Joshua, yonder, he thought he was general of the children of Israel. Well, he saw a man with a drawn sword at the edge of camp, and he went out, And I want to tell you, he rebuked that man. He says, are you for us or for our adversaries? What he really meant was this, if I may put it in good old Americana. What he said was, look, who told you to draw a sword? I'm the general here. Then that one turned, and that one said, for he was the pre-incarnate Christ. He said, nay, but as the captain of the hosts of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua went down on his face, got his shoes off. He's on holy ground. You know, he found out he had a captain. Now, you and I are today under a captain, and the relationship is not military. It's on the basis of love. If you love me, keep my commandments. 
commandments. And I think the alternative is there. You don't love me, forget the commandments. Now, here we find that one of the things that he wants us to do, not to salute and fall down before some human being, and that he's our sergeant or he's our second lieutenant, but that you and I are to submit ourselves one to another, and we're to do it in the fear of God is our translation. I think really the better translation would be in the fear of Christ. And after all, Christ is God. So I'm not going to split hairs at this particular juncture. Now, actually, what this means, we're to walk in lowliness of mind. That's what he started off with in this practical section, that we walk. You remember that we are to walk, as Paul says, he beseeches us. Not command, I beseech you. It's the language of love. The fires of Sinai have died down now. And now it is based on what was done at Calvary. The grace of God, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy. And how? With all lowliness of mind. Now, in lowliness of mind means that you do not try to run the church. I get a little weary today when I hear an officer of the church say, well, I'm an officer in the church, and I have a right to say this. Oh, you do? (laughs) Who gave you the right to say that or do that? My friend, all of us, doesn't make any difference who it is. We're to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. That's the thing that we're to do. It is not my way, and this, by the way, is the answer to those today that say, well, I want you to know that I'll do as I please. I want to do it this way, and I'll do it this way. My friend, that's not a mark of a spirit-filled believer. In fact, you may not even be a believer if you talk like that. To be a spirit-filled believer means submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, we come to this section here. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, I've been doing some research on that word submit, and I have something rather startling to tell you. Did you know that the word submit in relative to wives is not in some of our better manuscripts? Don't be disturbed. I think it belongs there. But I think it belongs there probably in a little different way than we've had it in the past where it says, Wives, obey your husbands. I don't think that Paul's saying that at all. (laughs) I totally, oh, I totally disagree. I think that this is a very mild word. It's a loving word. And here... What he's really saying is, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And what he really means is respond to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, the way we respond to the Lord, we love him because he first loved us. Now, in this relationship of man and woman, the man is the one that makes love. He's the breadwinner. He should be. He's the one that goes out with the lunch pail each day. And may I say to you, that doesn't give him 
any authority that makes him top sergeant in the home either, by the way. Now, the wife is to respond, as the believer is to respond to Christ in the sense that we love him because he first loved us. Now, when a great big brute comes in to me, and as several have done, I never shall forget a great big raw bone fella came in to me and he says, Now, Dr. McGee, I want you to talk to my wife. She's very cold. She's not acting as a wife should. You know, he didn't know it, but that's a dead giveaway. When a man says that, he's absolutely admitting he's a failure as a husband. Why? Well, for the very simple reason that God never said for her to respond that way to him, except in a cold way, because I asked him. I said, have you ever told her lately that you love her? Well, no, she knows that, he said. I don't need to tell her that. And I said, well, I think you do. I said, I don't think she needs to tell you that she loves you until you say it first. And I say that woman is the responder and the man is the aggressor. And the man is to say, I love you. (laughs) And when she says yes, and she says, I love you. (laughs) And no woman is asked to say, I love you to a man until he says, I love you. And when a man says, I got a cold wife, she's got a cold husband. And he's not really being the husband that he should be. And he may be a great big old raw-boned boy like this one was. He was not in the world but a great big mama's boy. And he expect her to be the aggressor. May I say to you, that's not her business at all. Now, this is submission. And it's a sweet submission to love if you please. And the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. In what way? For the very simple way that it's a love relationship. And the husband is to be the head for the sake of order. And you find that actually in this section here in four different areas. Wives are to be subject to their husbands. Husbands are to be subject to Christ. Children are to be subject to parents, and servants are to be subject to master. And it's that kind of subjection. It's a sweet subjection. It's a willing subjection. And it's a subjection to somebody that loves you. All of this is that kind of a relationship. And friends, if you don't have love in it, this idea of submission isn't worth the snap of your fingers at all. And Let me develop this as I said that I would. In a marriage, and I've found this to be true, in the marriage counseling that I've done, and I've done a great deal of it in my day, I would say that 75% of the fault is on the side of the man. And it's the man that is to be the one to keep the love light burning, by the way. You remember that in the Song of Solomon, and that's a beautiful thing, the bridegroom says to the bride, says, Thou art all fair, my love. There's no spot in thee. And then she responds and says, My beloved is mine, and I'm his. Well, he said it first, you see. What a beautiful relationship that this is. And now, I know that somebody's going to say to me, well, you're very idealistic and you're very romantic about all this. Well, back in the Garden of Eden, God made them that way. God started off with a romantic pair. 
Adam and Eve. And he didn't give that woman to Adam until he'd been in that garden a long time and saw that he needed someone. And she was given a helpmeet. Well, what's a helpmeet? Well, she just said a half a man. That's all. I know that maybe some young girl is saying to me, or some young man, I should say first, Preacher, I'm not that kind of a person. I'm no hero. Well, may I say to you, young man, God never said that every girl would fall in love with you. Ninety-nine women may pass you by and seeing you only the boy next door who uses that greasy kid stuff. That's all. But let me say to you very seriously, one of these days there'll come by a woman who'll see in you the knight and shine in armor, and it's God who gives that highly charged chemistry between a certain man and a certain woman. I know that my wife said that to me at the beginning. She thought I was the knight in shining armor, and I want to tell you how it ended up. You know that commercial you see on TV, that this knight riding through with this cleanser, and you know where he ended up in the kitchen. Let me say something to the young woman listening today. She says, I'm not beautiful face or figure. Well, let me say this to you. God never said that you'd attract every male. Only animals do that. Ninety-nine men are going to pass you by and seeing you no more than what Kipling described as a rag of bone and a hank of hair and a lot of hair today. But one of these days, they're going to come by a man. He'll love you if you're the right kind of person, and you'll become his inspiration. You may inspire him to greatness, to write a book, to compose a masterpiece. If you are his inspiration, do not ignore him. Do not run from him. God may have sent you together for that very purpose. There will come that one. Now, someone is saying again, preacher, you're in the realm of theory. What are you talking about? It's idealistic. It sounds good in a storybook. doesn't happen in life. You're wrong. It does happen. Matthew Henry, who wrote the driest commentary I've ever read in my life. But I want to tell you, he had a very wonderful romantic life as a young preacher. You'd never think reading his commentary he was ever romantic, but he was. In London, he met a girl that belonged to the nobility and a very wealthy girl, and he's just a poor boy. He fell in love with her, and she loved him. And finally, she went to her father to tell him about it, and the father tried to discourage her and said, Why, that young man has no background. You don't even know where he came from. She answered, said, You're right. I don't know where he came from, but I know where he's going. I want to go with him. <laughs> and she went. Nathaniel Hawthorne, he was a clerk who had a government office in the customs in New York City. And he got fired for inefficiency and came home, sat discouraged and defeated in a chair. And his wife came up, put her arm around him and said, Now, Nathaniel, you can do what you always wanted to do. You can write. And he wrote The House of Seven Gables and The Scarlet Letter and The Great Stone Face and other great works. You see, may I say to you, it does work out in life, by the way. It's worked out in the life of multitudes. And what I'm trying to say is that he's taken an illustration of a Christian home. And he wants that Christian home to be somehow or another a mirror of the relation between Christ and his church. Now we come to the expectation of the church, verses 25 through 33. Listen to this. Husbands, love your own wives, 
even as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, God never asked a woman to submit to any man that doesn't love her and love her like this. Oh, this is, this is Christian love on a high plane. And let's remember, we're talking to Christians now. Somebody says, my, I tell you that young people are finding out about sex, and there are these books today on marriage and all that. May I say to you, I'm a square. Let me say it, though. <laughs> all of that's nonsense. Only the Christian can know what real love is in marriage because it's carried to the high plane of the relationship between Christ and the church. And it's nothing like that, my friend. Now, we're looking to the future. In order that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the labor of the water in the word, that he might himself present to himself the church glorious, having neither spot or wrinkle or any one of such things, but that she should be holy and without blemish. What a picture we have here. The past is given. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, gave himself for it. Christ in the past died for the church. And here in verse 26, the present, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's the reason he wants you in the word of God. That's the way he can cleanse you. The word of God is the best cleansing powder that there is today. It's better than any of these things that are advertised on radio and TV. The Word of God will not only take out spots, but it'll keep you from getting spots in your life. And then the future is here, that he might present it to himself someday a glorious church. And I am not going to take time today to go into that because it speaks of something we're going to see when we see the church presented to Christ in the book of Revelation as a bride adorned for her husband. And that's a time when women are beautiful when they get married. I never saw an ugly woman in a marriage ceremony in my life, and I've seen quite a few of them. Then he goes on to say here, because he returns now back from the relationship of Christ and his church to this matter of marriage, because he's talking about that which is very important. And by the way, let's don't forget we're talking about spirit-filled living today. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, may I say to you, a champagne supper is not what you need for your marriage. The thing you need is to be filled, both of you filled by the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you something. You will have the greatest honeymoon that any couple ever had. These little frizzly-headed girls and boys today that are talking about sex and extramarital relationships, they don't even know what real love is. They know a whole lot about sex. But, my friend, they don't know anything at all about the beauty and the ecstasy and the sweetness of a real Christian marriage. How wonderful this is. Now he says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth even as the law of the church. Just think how Jesus loves the church today. Think how a man ought to love his wife. 
and then she should respond. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. How are they one flesh? Well, in the child, they're sure one flesh. My, why wonderful this is. That was a great message. To share this study with a family member or friend, direct them to our app or visit ttb.org or send them a link to our new Bible companion for Ephesians. After taking care of them, I suggest that you take some time for yourself and check out the wealth of Bible study materials by Dr. McGee in the resources section of ttb.org. But beware, you might spend a few hours listening to sermons and downloading booklets yourself. I have to admit that I've often found myself doing that, to look for one thing and then a couple hours later I'm still exploring. And if we can help you find something, call 1-865-BIBLE. And then be sure to join us for our next study as we continue to look at God's purpose for marriage. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here saving a seat on the Bible bus just for you. Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world. And we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?